I got to see a new side of St. Pete this morning. Uh, some, some transformers were exploding, power outages, and, and Shore Acres was flooded. So uh, got to trek here. Uh, big shout out to Andrew Leone for the shorts. So thank you. Uh, my pants were very wet. Uh, I did get to meet some of my neighbors. It's a great way to, to get to know your community when you're, when you're trudging through your yard. Um, but I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning. So thankful to, to dig into the Word of God together. Have you ever wondered, is it really worthwhile to pray? Maybe you would never say that or believe that, but it seems to be something that we can push back. It seems to be something that we can save for later and leave it out of our lives. I've heard it said amongst church leaders, if you want to schedule something that will be poorly attended, have a prayer meeting. And prayer, as Christians, we know it's communing with God, the creator of heavens and earth. We have his ear. We, it's a grace for our edification of our souls and the advancement of the kingdom. Yet prayer is one of the most neglected disciplines of the Christian life. J.C. Ryle once said, yes, few pray. It is just one of the things assumed as a matter of course, but seldom practiced. A thing which is everybody's business, but in fact, hardly anybody performs. May that never be true of us. I have a suspicion, uh, because of my own heart and the ways and patterns I've seen and my unfaithfulness, maybe it's even an area where Christians are prone to lie, maybe even unintentionally saying, I'm praying for you, and then yet not being thoughtful to follow through on our word. Pastor Charles Spurgeon said, Neglect of private prayer is the locus which devours the strength of the church. So often I struggle in prayer. I lose focus. Things hop into my distracted mind. But with each passing day, I see more and more that there are few things more important and more urgent than prayer. Going to our Father in prayer. When my mom was on her deathbed a few years ago, something changed about my prayer life. My persistence in prayer was like never before. In his book on prayer, John Onwuchika equates prayer to breathing. We're to pray as often and as easy as we breathe. In those moments of my mom facing death, really for the first time I can remember, Prayer had become like breathing. Any inclination, brothers and sisters, that we have to devalue prayer or our failure to give effort and time to prayer is a misunderstanding on our part. To comprehend and understand the beauty and the grace that we have as we approach the throne of God. God is working in our prayers. He's working and shaping us in our prayers. So today, we get to see Jesus teach his disciples how to pray. There's no more way fitting than us to begin by praying for God's help to see our absolute necessity to persistently pray to our Father. Let's pray. God, we need your help this morning. Lord, we are weak and we are unfaithful, but yet you are always faithful, God. We fail to see all that you have given us in Christ. 
God, through the power of your word, through the means of grace and prayer, the sacraments of your church. God, I pray that we would, our hearts would be reinvigorated to pray. That we would see prayer as breathing. Something that we cannot go without. Something that we do often and boldly and persistently. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we're in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Uh, And we're going to see three things, three Ps, if you will. So we're going to see a pattern for our prayer in verses 1 through 4. We're going to see the pattern. In verses 5 through 8, we're going to see a parable of prayer. And then lastly, verses 9 through 13, we're going to see the promise that fuels our prayer. So, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus has been going around and teaching. We see him doing something that he does frequently, a trademark of his life. He is praying. I hope you've been able to see throughout the journey of Luke, throughout this gospel, every time Jesus is doing something worthy, he is meeting his father in prayer. It's a primary characteristic of his life. And the disciples, they're observing him. They approach him. It was common for renowned rabbis to teach their disciples to pray. And so they ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them instructions on how to pray. And as we hear these instructions that Jesus has to give, I want you to think of it less as a prescription on how to pray, but more of a template, more of of a pattern of what should be the content and what should be the heart and the character of our prayers. This prayer is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. You may have come across this prayer. I, I remember playing football growing up and before every practice and before every game, we would gather and say the Lord's Prayer. And it was less of a prayer, but it was more of a mindless battle chant uh, that we would say without giving it much thought to what we were saying, or even if we believed it. This was not prayer as God intended. Our focus is not on saying the right words or, or repeating an exact phrase as an incantation to appeal to God. No, God cares far more about the heart of the one praying. And so in the ancient world, it'd be common for prayers to be seen as formulaic, as long, elaborate, drawn-out petitions. And the pattern that Jesus teaches, it just stands out in direct contrast. It's, it's, brev, it's brief, it's simple. The first thing we see that we are to do is we are to address God as Father. It's lost on us, but to address God as Father is daring. We tend to think of Father indicating His fatherly affection, but it also speaks to His authority, His might above all as the creator and sustainer of life. This is something that only a believer has the right and privilege to address God in this manner. Jesus calls God Father rightly as the Son of God. But the only other people that can rightly call God Father are those who Jesus has purchased. It's only through Christ that we can approach God in boldness 
and pray expectantly, crying out to our Father in heaven that He will act on our behalf. It's only Jesus who can call Him Father and those who have been made right and cleansed through the work of Christ. Secondly, we see that God's name is to be hallowed. Name here refers to God's reputation, His honor. Hallowed means greatly honored. There's to be a reverence for the name of God. He's to be glorified. And we pray that we would have the honor, that He would have the honor that He is due. We live in a world that does not hallow His name. We're just as likely to hear Jesus Christ sarcastically or as a swear word as we are to hear His name hallowed as the Savior of the earth. We pray that God would receive the glory that is due to him. God, may you receive the glory that is due to your precious name. We pray, as we see in Philippians, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice just how much the focus is not on the person praying, but on God Himself. We're to be concerned with His glory. We're to show His name reverence and pray that it would be hallowed amongst all. Third, we're to pray that God's kingdom would be realized. Your kingdom come. Both the hallowing of His name and the kingdom coming, these are not things that are done by human hands, but they're done by God Himself. We need His help. We've heard time and time again throughout the gospel that the kingdom is near. That it's already supremely present in the person of Jesus. It's come in his ministry. But it awaits its final consummation to be completed in its totality, in its fullness. And so we as Christians, we long for his kingdom to come in its fullness. The Apostle Paul describes this yearning and waiting in Romans 8. He says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We pray for the day that righteousness will reign. We pray that the enemies of God would be defeated, that wrongs would be righted, that God's kingdom would advance. We pray for this kingdom to advance in us, in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, to our neighbors. They would know His redeeming love. That in this present evil age, His goodness and His justice would reign. Christian, do you long for His kingdom to come? It should be our desire. This should be what we pray for. Next, we're to pray for our needs. Give us each day our daily bread. Here the part is meant to represent the whole. Bread represents all things essential to our existence, our daily sustenance. We're so abundant today that we forget how precarious it was to live in first century Palestine where famines and weather affected food supply. God wants us to trust in His provision to meet all of our daily needs. He wants us to view the present through the promise of the future and putting our assurance not in all the stuff we can acquire, not in all the things we have, the fortresses we can build, the bank account growing, but trusting in Him 
to graciously provide. We see on top of our daily provision, we're to pray that God would forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Just as we need daily provision, we also have a need to regularly ask God for the forgiveness of our sins. No matter how old you get or mature you get in the faith, no one outgrows the need to ask for forgiveness. James tells us that we fail to obey God in countless ways. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We read in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God forgives us continually. He faithfully offers forgiveness for the most frequent of mess ups. Those who think they're not sinners and they have no need of forgiveness, they are the ones that make God out to be a liar. We may think we're pretty decent human beings. We're doing all right when we compare ourselves to others. When God is our standard for our holiness, we come up lacking quickly. But those that have the humility to acknowledge who they really are, to acknowledge what they've done, those that repent of their sin and instead put their trust in the perfect righteousness of Christ, they gain the eternal status of forgiven. Through the atoning work of Christ, that's how God continually sees His people forgiven. We're forgiven. We're standing in Christ's righteousness. What He's done. He's never sinned. He defeated death and rose again. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why the divine took on frail humanity. It was a divine rescue mission to call his lost sheep to himself so they could be forgiven. Even in this prayer, Jesus' prayer, it assumes a frequent, regular need for confession. The forgiveness here is not a matter of our salvation or right standing before God. It's a regular cleansing from sin that every believer's need. This is, this is what is meant by walking in repentance day by day. We've been forgiven. And that forgiven, forgiveness that we rejoice in, that's not the end. We are to, in turn to forgive others. Believers are not simply the objects of forgiveness. We're also the conduits, conduits of forgiveness. Because of what we've been given, we're now able to extend forgiveness to others freely. We've been reconciled to God, and now we have a ministry of reconciliation to others. There should be no one more ready and more willing to forgive than a born-again, blood-bought believer. We have been forgiven. So we're able to forgive others. Lastly, we see, we see we're to pray and lead us not into temptation. We know that God does not tempt us to sin. We read in James 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What James has in mind here, in talking about God tempting, is that God is not the one sending us into a trap. It's our own desires that lead us to our sin. Even though God does not tempt us to sin, we can pray that we would be spared from situations that would cause us to sin. Spare us from situations that would lead us off the path of faithfulness. Anywhere that leads us away from Him. We all encounter everyday temptations. We should pray that God would keep us from falling. As we see this pattern of prayer that Jesus lays out, how many of your prayers sound like this? Not in these exact words, but as a pattern. This week I was astounded as I dwelt on the richness and the simplicity found in this short prayer. It has such a God-centered character. So often if we're not careful, our prayers become us-centered. When we pray, we should focus on the one that we are speaking to. His eternal majesty. Focus on His work in our lives. So wonderful and magnificent. Yet every believer can call Him Father. Pray for His kingdom to come in all its fullness in every area of our life. Something else that we should notice in this model of prayer is that our Savior instructs us to pray. It's, it's corporate in nature. We don't find I's and me's. We find us's and we's. Forgive us our sins. Give us our daily bread. We forgive everyone indebted to us. This is why we have such an emphasis on praying together in our service. As a church, we need the body of Christ and we are edified as we pray together. This is our pattern for prayer that Jesus sets out. Next, let's look at the parable of prayer that he gives us. If the first half of today's sermon focused on what we are to pray for, the second half shows us how and why we are to pray. And he said to him, verse 5, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So, people would often travel at midnight to avoid the heat. In Middle Eastern hospitality, it was expected that sustenance would be provided. You had to take care of your friends. In this parable, we have an emergency, a hospitality emergency. Surprise visitor shows up at midnight. He's got no food for him. And so he runs to his friend's house and he asks him for bread in the middle of the night. And the friend, in the middle of the night, he's, he's bothered. He initially refuses. And if you just want to imagine the scene, some of you with uh, small children, maybe to imagine this better than others. But many lived in a one-room house where all the kids slept in the same room as the parents, in the same bed. And they, they'd have to get up in order to get so, answer the door. They'd have to get up. They'd have to light a lantern. They'd have to move a heavy door. It would wake everyone up. 
And so he says, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But because of his friend's insistence, even begrudgingly, even if to make him go away, eventually the man will provide his friend with the bread he needs. What does this mean for us? The text says that because of the impudence of his, the neighbor, the friend will give in. Impudence means this, it's a type of shameless boldness. The audacity that his host has to wake up his neighbor in the middle of the night. He has a not-to-be-deterred attitude. He's got a determination not to give up until he gets what he set out for. And he's not taking no for an answer. This is the way that we are to pray. Not that we should aim to pester God until he gives in, but we should be persistent in our prayers. And this parable is meant to show us that God, in great contrast to this annoyed neighbor, God has a great desire and a great willingness to help his children. If inhospitable neighbors at the end of frustration half awake will eventually grant the request of inconsiderate friends, how much more will a loving heavenly father grant the request of his precious children who he has purchased by the blood of Christ? Our heavenly father is willing to be bothered in ways that many times our neighbors aren't. When you pray, how persistent are you? Do you pray once or twice and just let it go? Just kind of give up? My prayer this week as I prepared this sermon is that we would all grow in this. That we would be honest, bold. We pray with urgency. We persist in our prayer before God. He's not our annoyed neighbor that that we hesitate before, that we inconvenience. He loves to hear our prayers. And he already knows what we need. Maybe our inclination is to think, why pray if he already knows? You read in Matthew, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When we think that God, why pray? Because he already knows we miss the point. Praying is primarily for our benefit, not God's. Let's let our prayers be urgent and bold, persistently, continually bringing them before God, that He would work in our children's hearts. They would know of His grand salvation, that His glory would spread throughout the earth, that our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates would know Him as Savior, that our hearts would treasure Him above all, that, he would, that we would have courage to live lives faithful to what He has called us to. That our relationships and our marriages would reflect the love of Christ. That we would have discernment and generosity to love our neighbors as ourselves. That we would have dis- discipling relationships, doing one another's spiritual good. That you would grow us in community. That He would continue to set non-Christians in our path to share good news with. That he would use this time during the holidays to bring glory to his name. That he'd work in the hearts of those that seem furthest from you. Those whom we've given up on in our prayers. Be persistent, brothers and sisters, that his church would shine bright, upholding his truth and beauty and love. That those who are hurt and wounded would be restored. That he'd bring life 
where there is only death, and light where there is only darkness. Persist in these prayers. We can persist because we are assured that not only is He not like the frustrated neighbor, He's our loving Father who delights to hear us, delights to hear our prayers. He gives us, He also gives us a promise that fuels our prayer. Verse 9, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The outcome of prayer here, according to Jesus, is not tentative. It's not uncertain. It's, it's not speculative. It's the opposite. It's certain. It's explicit. It's sure. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What father, when their kids are hungry, they ask for a fish, you'd give them a snake. You ask for an egg, you give them a scorpion. I mean, I talk to Caleb often, and he never says anything like that. I have many ways to grow as a dad. And my kids, they don't always obey. But they still get pizza. I would never give them something that would hurt them. If in my brokenness and in my sinfulness, if, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The argument here is from the lesser to the greater. If everyday sinful dads provide for their children, how much more will, will our Heavenly Father? Believers are to persist in prayer. Not because they need to overcome God's reluctance, but because they know God will hear them and they know He will answer. He's far better than any earthly father. He wills to give good gifts to His children. Jesus directs our attention to the fulfillment of God's promises in this last section. Verses 11 through 13, they are a basis for our persistence in prayer. He longs as a kind father to give us what we need. He's not stingy. And we can persist in prayer boldly because of his love. Sometimes we see prayer as a passive activity. It's better that we think of it as an interrelational adventure with God. We're to seek his face. We see in the scriptures. Seek God's face is to pray in Deuteronomy 4. For from there... You will seek the Lord your God and will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. In Isaiah 55, he says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. The truth is we know all prayers are not answered in the way that we would like. 
can be for certain reasons. And we, we know that some of this is because not everything we ask for represents the will of God. We see in James 4, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And yet on the flip side, if it's his kingdom we're concerned about, if it's his glory we're concerned about, God grants what we ask. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We see more about asking according to his will in 1 John 5. In this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Brothers and sisters, John 15, 7, 1 John 5, 14. Meditate on these verses. Take these with you. Let them fuel your prayer life. That God delights to give to his children. He has ordained prayer to be the means of grace by which he gives us what we need. And for those that have prayed faithfully and yet your heart's desires have not been met. Know that he is always working for your good, even if your prayers have seemed to go unanswered. He's always working for your good. He's our wise father, and he knows what we need more than we know what we need. We're to persist because it reveals what we really want. Prayer reveals what is in our hearts. It shows us our true desires. If you want to know what you truly desire, just, just take a look, take a log, take a screen time record of your, of your prayer life. What does it say about your desires? The greatest gift he ends, he ends the passage on is, the greatest gift we could ever receive is the Holy Spirit. Realization of God's kingdom in our life as we're transformed by his grace, that we're made new creations in Christ and dwelt in his power and by his glory, by his spirit. He gives us what we need most of all. Holy Spirit, so that we can live a life pleasing to him. Beloved, keep seeking. Keep knocking. We do not have because we do not ask. Adrian Rogers famous pastor said Satan can't keep God from answering prayers but he will keep us from asking and the most of all we need is him when we pray begin with God focus on his supremacy pray for him to be seen as he is in all his glory infinitely just wise loving and powerful as we drive to work as we wake in the morning we can breathe this prayer lord let your kingdom advance in me may your will be done in my life today i submit my will to yours let our daily intake of food remind us of our daily need for god throughout this whole experience of church planning and all that the lord has for us I cling back to this truth in Psalm 84. It's where we'll end today. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's persist in our prayers. Let's pray.